I'm Maria, and welcome to the 3L podcast series, Limited Liability Leadership, Raising the Bar in Leading the Bar. Thanks for checking out our upcoming limited podcast series developed and produced by Class 8 of the W.N. Reese Smith Jr. Leadership Academy Program of the Florida Bar. Hi, this is the Limited Liability Leadership Podcast, where we'll discuss raising the bar and leading the bar. My name is Alicia Holden, Associate Counsel with the National Basketball Association and a member of the Florida Bar Leadership Academy, Class 8. Today, I am here with fellow Class 8 member, Kiara Hendrieth, Police Legal Advisor with the Compliance and Standards Division of the Miami-Dade Police Department, and Eugene Pettis, a co-founder of Halixar, Pettis & Schwamm, and former president of the Florida Bar. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mr. Pettis. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I look forward to the conversation. Now, before we jump into our conversation, we wanted to give a brief introduction of our guest. His resume and experiences are extremely impressive, and we are in for a good discussion. Mr. Pettis is a co-founder of Halixer Pettis and Schwamm, and he focuses his practice in the areas of medical malpractice, personal injury, employment law, and commercial litigation. Mr. Pettis attended the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida, where he received a bachelor's degree in political science in 1982 and graduated from the University of Florida's Levin College of Law. Mr. Pettis became the president of the Florida Bar in June 2013, becoming the first African-American in the bar's history to serve in this position and leading the country's second largest bar at a time when its membership exceeded 98,000 lawyers. So we'll keep that pretty brief uh, because, you know, your accomplishments kind of ex- speak for yourself. And, and more importantly, we want to just hear a little bit more about your experiences, Mr. Pettis, with the bar, um, et cetera. Exactly. Great. I'd rather spend time substantively as opposed to some accolades. We are so honored to talk to you today. And so with that, let's go ahead and dive into the discussion. Mr. Pettis, how did you get involved with the Florida Bar? I was determined, Kiara, to, to get engaged uh, kind of from the beginning of my, 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 my practice. I got engaged on the local level uh, in the Broward County Bar Association. Uh, then I got uh, somewhat outside of the bar. I was the vice president of the NBA, the National Bar Association, Florida chapter at that time. It wasn't Virgil, Virgil Hawkins. Uh, but then I got appointed by Governor Childs to the Water Management District Governing Board back in 91, which took me out of the bar life, if you will. Um, and then in, in 2005, because I served there for eight years at the Water Management District Governing Board. And in 2005, uh, upon the untimely death of Henry Latimer, uh, who was here in Fort Lauderdale, uh, I, I was recruited to consider. Uh, I considered and I, I, I ran uh, for my seat. And in 2005, I started the journey. I had been involved in some committees with the Supreme Court, et cetera, before getting on the board of governors. So I kind of had a very high, not a high level, probably was a low level, but a very limited uh, understanding of what goes on, but getting involved in the board was certainly a, a hands-on uh, process to help effectuate change, policy, etc. 
So that's how I got there. It was, you know, it was one of those things where I think, you know, you get called to duty. And and I remember the night I got called to say, we need you on the Board of Governors. It was nowhere near my my plan. Um, but sometimes God has some other things planned for you that you don't know about right around the corner. So that's how it all got started. And you rose to the challenge. So I, rose to, I answered the call. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we get opportunities and for whatever reason, we we don't answer the call. And sometimes you miss your blessing. You miss your life's purpose by not answering the call. So I answered the call and it's a, a chapter of life that I'll be a part of my time here on this earth. Wow, that that's awesome to hear. Um, so part of the series of of our podcast, we've been diving in, having a, a greater discussion into particular topics. And this one that we wanted to focus on a little bit today in particular is with respect to diversity and inclusion. So what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? You know, I, I, I've been committed to diversity and inclusion before the words were even utilized. I mean, I, I went to the University of Florida, uh, undergrad in law school, as you indicated, uh, uh, and and from day one, I was the youngest, I, I, I was a uh, black student union president my freshman year. Uh, in the spring, I ran, I want to change the school. Uh, back in 78, it was a segregated effort there, you know, and I, I as, as president of, of, of the black student union, uh, I went into the uh, dean of uh, student affairs and told Dr. Sam Dean that I had an idea and it was to get involved campaign. Uh, that I was going to bring people together. It's been a part of my mission. So I was doing inclusion at that time. We didn't call it inclusion. We didn't call it diversity. I call it get together, just getting rid of these two worlds that we live in. Or Now it's even more complicated than two worlds. And he gave me money and support. And I started integrating, for lack of a better word, uh, white community with the black community and showing that there's benefit to bringing everybody to the table. Um, I, I, I did that throughout my University of Florida years. I, I became president, I mean, I became student body treasurer and you know, I brought more people, I brought, you know, they wanted me to run for office. Uh, and I go back this for because I'm just giving you the roots, if you will. They wanted me to run for office. Uh, and I said, give me five Senate seats and an ASFAC seat. They said, we can't do that. I said, I can't run. So they said, okay, we'll give you four. So I recruited uh, some really sharp young ladies, Ava Parker, who's president of Palm Beach College, Julia Johnson, who has served um, on the Public Service Commission in Tallahassee on a couple of occasions under the Bush administration, uh, you know, and Pam Holmes. I, I brought people in and we swept them all in. And, and, and now they're at the table. So when you're talking about diversity and inclusion, it's giving people an opportunity to be at the table, uh, to have input without a ceiling, uh, and to have substantive engagement. It's not tokenism. It's not just being in the room. It's being in the conversation. It's being in the planning phase. It's being heard. Uh, and, 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 and that's the uh, part of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, I've started talking more equity because you could be in the room at the table and you're still out of the game. So we got to be careful what we're asking for 
And we can't be afraid of asking for equity. We need to have equity so so that 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 we will share in the fruits that everybody shares in. Uh, because people will have you in the room with the expectation that you're going to be quiet, that you don't have an agenda of your own. I, you know, you look at President Obama. I think if he had been quiet, uh, he'd have probably been smoother. But he had ideas. And some people in society dare you to have your own ideas. They want their ideas to work during your administration or during your time. So diversity, inclusion, and equity is substantive engagement uh, at every level. And, 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 and I've just been committed to it as long as I've been in the game from high school through University of Florida days, um, because I think it's our best humanity. I think we're better as a humanity when we achieve it. Uh, I think we limit ourselves across the board, those that are in power and those that are trying to get into power all lose out when we're not in sync with diversity and inclusion and equity. Mr. Pettis, what challenges, current challenges, do you see facing the legal industry in terms of diversity and inclusion? And more specifically, that obstacle, if you will, to that substantive engagement that you've talked about. I think we have to, you know, we're better today than we've been. Uh, We still have a ways to go. I, I think the challenge is the grind, you know, getting a generation of minorities, African-Americans, gay and lesbian, Hispanics, you know, Asian-Americans, all that makes our rainbow. And it's a grind. It's not overnight. Uh, I think this generation, uh, you know, the work-life balance and those types of things, you know, are redefining uh, their engagement. But I think that one of the challenges is to make sure we're fully engaged. If you're not fully engaged, and have aspirations of going up the ladder to towards whatever your goal may be. And uh, everybody doesn't want to be a president. Everybody doesn't need to be a chairman. But being engaged where you can be a voice. Um, if you're not willing to do that, that's as bad of a hindrance as somebody that don't want you to be there. And we have both going on. Uh, we have people that are not willing to give the time. And if the give time is half done, for lack of a better word, it's not full throttle commitment. So we have to be willing to engage and continue de- to demand. Back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and I benefited from it, uh, there was a demand for participation. It, you know, it, it was it when I became president of the bar, it was a demand that we get an African-American president. I benefited from people that had already fought the fight, Uh, couldn't get in, couldn't accomplish it, but it fought the fight and were relentless even when defeated. Uh, We need to get back to that type of demand, engagement, passion about where we want to go. It doesn't just happen. People don't, those that have the goal don't voluntarily share it. (laughs) You know, they want to to keep power for themselves. They're not going to just give you power. You got to get in there and demand it, engage, learn how to navigate it, learn how to strategically get around. And and even, uh, uh, and I'll speak a little later, uh, if given the opportunity, on things I accomplished during my presidency, it wasn't given to me. None of it was was, uh, without a fight. 
but you got to be willing to truly recognize diversity and inclusion. I think we need to continue to enhance a commitment, a passion to our goals. And we're not there, in my opinion. I think the black lawyer uh, has a, and I'm speaking of, you know, black lawyers, but minority lawyers in general. Uh, but we as black lawyers, African-American lawyers, must be advocates for our communities. We don't have any other options. There are no other voices that can do what we do. And that's why if you look back at people generations past in the civil rights era that opened up opportunities, they were lawyers. And now a lot of them are not lawyers. Lawyers have taken a step back. We're making more money than, you know, it's about money now. And that's, that's fine. We all need more money. Uh, uh, rent is high. Uh, mortgages are high. But we have to recognize our role. And our role is one of articulation of advocacy uh, of change. And we as a society will not accomplish our greatest self until lawyers step back to the forefront and be a part of the advocacy of our communities. Wow, that, that's powerful. And I mean, it's definitely giving me, um, you know, as a, as a Black lawyer, um, reason to think about what more can I be doing personally? Because I know growing up, the lawyers that I saw, those were the people that they were the ones on the front line, you know, advocating for change and trying to make my community better. Um, so to, to hear that is definitely a think piece for, for me and, and, and something to a cause for reflection, even personally for me. So I, so I appreciate that. And you, you kind of alluded to, to the next question. So we, we would definitely like to hear about your accomplishments, uh, and the things that you did in your tenure as, as the Florida Bar President? Well, you know, inclusion was a big part of my agenda. And God put on my heart, I remember it was one Sunday sitting on the couch, the Leadership Academy. I had gone around the state. I had observed a lot. I believe that I had a sense of what was missing. There have been great efforts over 20 plus years to have diversity and inclusion, but they were doing an annual you know, diversity conference and talk about some goals and come back next year. And it's the same goals, in my opinion. Not a whole lot was changing. And I wanted to be more radical. I wanted to be more substantive. I wanted to encourage. I I, I remember when I I uh, was appointing however many, six, seven hundred people to committees. Uh, I made sure I, I started a get involved campaign. Does it sound familiar? Yes, is what I did at the University of Florida in 1978, 79, where I reached out and pulled people into the process and said, I need you to, to get on this committee. And I appointed them as a vice chair so that they go right into leadership, uh, put women in places they had never been, put minorities in places. So I really got engaged personally to encourage people to put their their uh, applications in to get engaged in the committee working of, of workings of the bar. Uh, then with the Leadership Academy, uh, I thought I could create a new generation of leaders uh, that were better trained, that were ready to navigate uh, the new world. 
that that needed some skills of strategic planning, of networking, of knowing what's out there, uh, and all the other uh, curriculum items that you all do. But I had been to enough committees, excuse me, organizational meetings to know that some of the things we were doing were just not effective. And it was because not they didn't desire. I don't think they knew how to do it better. So we were being subpar in our organizations, which make them less effective. And, 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 and I wanted to create a path that immediately start introducing uh, a diverse group of young lawyers to the game, to what's going on uh, in our profession, to have the skill set that you can utilize way beyond, you know, you, you, again, a lot of people are going to take those skills from your class of class eight and, and, and move on. But you can use some of the skills you've learned at the National Bar, at the uh, National Basketball Association corporate position you have. It's skills of speaking up. It's skills of going across the aisle and meeting someone that's not your natural association. It's skills of knowing everybody has value. Uh, and it's skills of speaking up with confidence, uh, speaking up with confidence and believing in yourself. Uh, those are skills that we are not taught often enough. And, and therefore, the Leadership Academy, uh, I thought, would bring us to the table quicker, would give us qualifications so you can't be denied, would give you knowledge that you will know what's going on, and just allow you to navigate uh, uh, and, and, and go serve your community, go serve your profession, go serve your church, go, you know, be a leader in your law firm, whatever you do with those skills, I thought it made a better individual and a better advocate for the legal profession. Uh, I'm just, I, I tie a lot of things together, but I believe with the skills that y'all are learning, you will be better wherever you land if you're committed to it. If you have that persistence of being better, you will be better. It's you know it's just like anything else, but you you have to want it. You can come through the leadership academy, hear everything, and come out and be the same person that you were and do nothing, or you can come in there and let it be a game changer. And I'm always hopeful that more will be game changers. I fought for the diversity on the bench. I created a task force. Now, what did I do on the task force? I went and called a governor. I mean, went and met with Governor Scott, uh, went and met with some other Republicans. I wanted it to be, they were in power. So I couldn't put together a committee of people that were not accepted by those in power. So I said, give me five names of who you want. And he gave me five names of Republicans. It was a very mixed effort uh, that started the focus on stopping us from asking to be appointed to get to the JNCs that make the appointments. We had nobody on the JNCs. So I pushed during my years of JNC appointments so we can be in the decision-making position. You know, when we lost, when, when, when the Democrats lost and the Republicans won and the Democrats, you know, the Republicans were appointing, uh, DeSantis were appointing the three justices of the Supreme Court. Okay, number one, voting voting matters. So you lost by 30,000 votes, Gillum. Uh, there's a consequence to losing. 
But more important, we've allowed at that time the JNC of the Supreme Court to have no minorities. So all you're doing is standing on the outside, asking them to do the right thing as opposed to being on the committee to be a bigger advocate. And, and, and so we fought uh, and did a very effective job. I think we've lost some of our, our energy. I was committed wholeheartedly to it. I again called people that I knew couldn't be denied, general counsels of the Miami-Dade, and I, I uh, you know, people that were, again, very experienced and said, I need you on the JNC. They'll never appoint me. I said, how do you know? Put your name in. Walter Harvey, uh, Hans Antonat, Callaway, all of these people put their names in, got appointed. Two or three of them became chairman of the JNCs. You know, some of the people that are on the bench came through them. So we cannot allow obstacles because there are obstacles out there. People don't share power very, very freely. Friends don't share power. Uh, you have to go out and you have to go get it. And, and, and you have to be willing to put some of your time into whatever the cause uh, to make sure that you're at the table, at the job you're going to. Got to find a way to be at the table. However many years you've been practicing, uh, you want to be at the table. It takes time, but they need to know you're engaged. I got to, I got to, I got to. Uh, I'm in the American College of Trial Lawyers. I don't get in any committee that I don't get engaged. I'm in any organization. Uh, I have a foundation board meeting uh, later today uh, for the American College of Trial Lawyers, uh, uh, less than 1%, probably 200 people in Florida are in the American College. Very, you know, very, very high honor. I didn't go there to put it on my resume. I'm beyond the resume stuff. I went there to get engaged. And they invited me to... Um, would I please become a regent? And regents are right before you become president of the organization. You become an officer. And I told them what my challenge, health challenge was right now, and that I have to get myself back strong. I can't take on a task that I'm not able to give 100%. And it's a very, you're representing Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Uh, it's a very challenged position. Uh, but the card that I got from a former president was, I heard about, you know, we heard about your your uh, diagnoses. Glad that you're beating it. Uh, in four years, you're getting another call. So when you go out and get in an organization, leadership rises to the top. Uh, and when you do that, you're able to make and effectuate change for your community. However you define community, it could be females, it could be racial, it could be whatever the definition of community that you want to focus on, you can be a change agent for the better. And, and, and that's what I think that we need to do. The Leadership Academy is the conduit, it's what you go through, that's an important process, but what you do afterwards is the game. That's, that's the key. What you do afterwards, and 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 we've we've had some phenomenal. You all heard from the judges, you know. We've had eleven judges come through the academy. So I've had people write me and say, "I'd have never done it without the academy." Uh, so changing the bench, changing you know how we truly effectuate 
diversity and inclusion, and it's changed everything. I mean, it's just, it's changed the board, board of governors. It's put us places that we would never have gone, put people in presidencies that they would have never had. So um, again, hearing the voice, hearing the vision, be willing to go fight to execute it. And there were obstacles. There were people that did not want it. It goes back to the fact that people don't like to uh, share power. And I wasn't going to be denied. So that's, you know, that's my presidency. And I'm glad to see that some of those initiatives are still going on, particularly you all's engagement in the Leadership Academy. Mr. Pettis, this has been such an amazing opportunity. And you talked about being better and the radical change. And even your presidency in and of itself was a game changer. Your role as the first African-American president of the Florida Bar. And so knowing all of that and providing us with this wonderful information and knowledge and encouragement that you've given, as practitioners of the law, we're always looking towards the future, right? So moving into the future, what advice do you have for young leaders like Alicia and myself to foster more diversity and inclusion within the Florida Bar? You know, I... I uh, and I've told you, I don't know if y'all have heard it, but I've, I've spoken on it many times. And I just believe you get messages. I'm, I'm a believer in God. And, and, and I just have so many miraculous occasions where I've been given direction and I've been given an opportunity. Dennis Archer was the first African-American of the American College, excuse me, the American Bar Association probably 30 years ago now, 25 years at least ago. I met Dennis a few months before taking office as uh, president-elect. And we talked, I said, it's a pleasure meeting you, all the niceties, and I was getting ready to walk away. And he said, he said, um, before you leave, he said, what's your dominant hand? And I said, I'm right-hand dominant. And he said, as you continue to climb the corporate ladder, I want you to pull yourself up by your left hand. And I want you to reach back and lift others up by your dominant right hand. I have never uttered any words that have been more moving than those words that were given to me. And I've always given Dennis the credit. I don't know where he got it from. He may have made it up, but he passed it on to me. And I so I, I give him credit. I've had people come to speeches and say, Mr. Pettis, I heard you five years ago and you, you know, and they butcher what they heard. But the essence of it is you pull people up by your strength. As leaders, we have to go get you've heard me say a few times I got on the phone and I called people. I pulled them into people don't do certain things naturally. You have a different vantage point. You know, you have to go get people. I've done it at every level I've, I've been engaged since high school. Go and convince people there's something in this for you. You can be better for it. I need you next to me. I need your support. And, and that's leadership. Leadership is, 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 is lifting others. Leadership is, I can create the agenda but I don't need to do all the work. I don't need to have all the fanfare. Leadership is giving people platform. Share your platform with them so they feel good about the opportunity and, 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 and lifting them to the table. So as young leaders, 
you all have to be in the recruitment business. You all have to, you have to, you know, on a Sunday you hear about uh, being a missionary. You got to get out there and recruit some people to come into your cause. And, and, and the cause being getting engaged in, in today's society. And, 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 and we don't do enough of it. I think we can really have a powerful a more powerful presence if, if we didn't have all the options we had. We got a lot of options in life. Back in the day, people didn't get called to be on, on the NBA's uh, legal team. You know, they didn't get, we didn't have all these jobs. So we fought. We were committed to fighting for our, we now get, we got other opportunities and we've lost some of the fight. We've lost some of the engagement. And I think we need to somehow find that passion, even in the midst of prosperity. You, you can't let prosperity take you out of the game. You got to continue to have the passion to lift others with your best. And that little parable that, that he gave me, I added to it. The natural tendencies we have of we're selfish. Human beings are selfish. So normally we use what we got for ourselves. And if it's something left, <laughs> we, we may care. This is use your best. Use your best for somebody else. And if you use your best for somebody else, it will always, you will always have enough. There's enough out there. Uh, I've never, I've never been without. I've been blessed immensely. Um, I've had opportunities of, of, of whether it's in the profession or outside the profession, because I think that I create good karma. I, I, I go out there and I give genuinely, put people in positions genuinely that I don't, I don't get anything out of it. But you're putting people, you're putting your, you're using your best for somebody else. Uh, so to your question uh, here, uh, it's, 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 that's the job. That's the challenge of you all as young leaders. And, and, and it's a way of being, it's a commitment uh, and you do it without even thinking, but you got to be ready to engage and, and do it with some passion because nobody's going to come in and follow you if you're dull. Nobody wants to follow you if you don't look like you want to be there. Why the heck would I give up my time? And we got to make it sound like it's the best thing there is. It's a life changer. It's transformative. Uh, but we need you. And I could talk anybody, I believe, into getting engaged. Uh, that's my response to, to, to what you all need to be looking at as you come through the Leadership Academy and what you do thereafter, which is the most important chapter of your life. This has been such a powerful conversation. It has been a privilege to talk to you and we could talk about these topics all day, but I believe that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of the Leadership Academy Class 8, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, to encourage us. It's been such a great learning experience and we appreciate the role that we can take in creating the future. So that'll wrap up our discussion for today. Thanks for joining us on the Limited Liability Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to check out other episodes to learn more about raising the bar and leading the bar. 